guys, it's me, Layla Cheek, your host, and welcome to another edition of Ample Cause, our justification, and Hamlet Island, our memoir series. And I just want to kind of uh, document and, and journalize um, another uh, little uh, ordeal that I'm going through today. And God just has just has been reminding me that uh, over and over again in the Bible, uh, the friends of God were those that were the most honest with him. And Proverbs three thirty two reminds us that the Lord is a friend to those who are honest. And God wants us to be honest with our feelings, honest with um, our complaints, honest when we second guess him or have doubts or just plain and open and honest with him and have an honest dialogue with him. And, you know, oftentimes in the Bible, those that were God's friends, like Abraham and, and Noah, David, Jeremiah, all these people were very open with their feelings and how they felt all the time with God. Just had an open uh, communication with Him, and He didn't scorn it. He didn't rebuke them. He didn't even, you know, chastise them for bringing them their complaints or bringing him their doubts or any of their um, feelings or emotions or, or problems they had. He wanted, you know, Abraham to ask him, you know, over and over again about. You know, destroying the dog more. What if there were, there was fifty? What if there was forty? What if there was thirty? You know, would you still destroy it? Would you still destroy it? And even David, many times through his chase of of Saul, and you see in the Psalms how he has heartache and heartbrokenness, and um, sometimes despair and questions God, and then you know other times there's praise and, and happiness and glee. And so just an open dialogue with God over our emotions and Jeremiah even. God, you tricked me. You set me up. And he was, you know, upset over um, how he felt and Job as well. And so God, you know, isn't offended. I remember one time um, there was, you know, some people that um, I was, you know, having these uh, conversations with and sharing the gospel with and having God conversations with. And they uh, were unbelievers and they were kind of just like making fun of the Bible and making fun of God and making fun of um some of the things that he does or said and and I remember it just kind of like hurt my heart and it just kind of like um bothered me in a sense where it's like God how can they say these things about you and God just took me you know to uh Galatians and he's like don't worry God's not mocked he's not deceived uh what you uh sow you will reap if you sow to the flesh you'll reap um, from the flesh corruption, and if you sow to the spirit, you'll reap from the spirit um, eternal life and spiritual things. And so, he was just reminding me, like, hey, I'm not mocked. I'm good. Don't worry about me. You know, they're the ones that are mocked. They're the ones that are deceived. They're the ones that are gonna reap what they sow. He's like, I'm good. I can handle it. I'm, I'm God. It doesn't offend me. I'm, you know, I'm not mocked. Don't worry. I can hold my own. And so that's just like a good reminder that God can handle all our feelings, all our doubts, all our, you know, emotions. And ultimately, God doesn't want anyone to reject him. You know, doubt is quite different than rejection, but God doesn't want anyone to ultimately reject him or, you know, blasphemy, credit his work as being demonic or satanic. And he does, like, not forgive people that don't accept him or, or, you know, his way through Jesus Christ, ultimately there is condemnation in that. But at the end of the day, you know, he is not mocked. So he can handle our 
a passion in, in our, our feelings and our resentments and our emotions. And I tend to have a open dialogue with God all the time, you know, just through praying consistently. Like, sometimes I complain to him or sometimes I'm like, why God or why me? Or, you know, sometimes I, you know, it's not always this thankful heart that we should have as those sinful humans and experience the wide range of emotions that God gave us, whether that's anger or, or sadness or, you know, maybe his these emotions. But how do we end it in praise, right? How do we end the psalm in praise? How do we end our, our, our day in praise? How do we end our venting in praise? How do we end our, our rattling out these feelings in praise? And I think that's the ultimate um, goal is to come to that point spiritually too. And in praise. People who believe in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teaching. Abide in my teaching. And so it's kind of hard to be a true disciple of Christ if you're not abiding in what he says and abiding in his teaching. And a lot of that, you know, boils down to just like, what do we do with our time? We have a lot of time in the day, a lot of busyness, a lot of activities. We pride ourselves on, on doing more, producing more more programs, more output, more busyness. Say you accomplish this, you know, achievements and goals and, and, and whatnot. And, and, you know, why some of these things are good might have some value, you know. Then day, guys, like, what are you doing with your time? And what are you uh, reaping in return for it? And while you can spend, you know, maybe time in recreational activities or, or chilling, as we call it, or just... Um, maybe relaxing, watching TV for hours, you know, Netflix and their series are addicting. I heard people can Netflix binge, you know, the term nowadays. Nowadays, we Netflix binge and we just watch TV series after TV series of mindless shows for hours and hours and hours. Get addicted to um, what's going to happen next and, you know, these things that we can do to maybe justify um, downtime or free time. But God ultimately... Um, Calls us, calls us to be in his Bible and to um, spend time with him. And ultimately, um, the Bible, while it may be um, hard to understand at some points and some areas might be confusing, he promises that, you know, the more time you, you spend with God, the more time you put into it, the more time you'll want to spend with him, the more time you will want to put into it. And I noticed that is very true in my own life. And you know, like that step of faith that you have to make the effort first. And the more you do, the more you want to. And it leads to, to transformation. It changes your heart. It changes your mind. It changes your, your thinking. It changes your hurts and your pains and your, your character. It changes your, your hope and your goals in life. It cleanses your mind and it helps you uh, put off sin and temptation and it really um, changes you and your being and it's because it's alive and active and we don't say that like it's just a bunch of words or another book to read or another you know, book to gain knowledge from but God's spirit moves on, on his pages and it's um, his spirit that kind of um, strikes us in such a way when we're reading a passage you know something may pop out or um, convicts us through, through his word many times and that helps us to uh, be, uh, put off uh, certain characters that we don't characteristics that we don't like, and to build um, better godly lives, and so His Word is transforming and transformational. And I think um, more time you spend in it, the more time 
um, you'll see these uh, benefits to it. And it's unlike any other book because it's God-breathed in that sense. Now the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. That's Psalm 103, 8 and 11. And, you know, sometimes we have this bird's eye view where we can be real up high, you know, down, kind of like an eagle eye at the, at the world or Google Earth, you know, zoom in to spec our house, our people. And, um... When you have this view, sometimes you're almost, you know, like clouds in the heavens and in this uh, another realm, and you zoom all the way down for miles and miles onto Earth. You see a not only a bigger perspective, but you actually get to see, like, wow, God is in control of all these people, all these things, all this on this planet, and you know that's how big God is, and that's how great and vast He is, and how a little bit of our mind wraps around that in that moment or in that you know concept how we can just get a little glimpse of God's bigness and his vastness and so not only is he that um mighty and vast and powerful but also that loving that caring that compassionate and that patient not wanting any to perish because we don't understand how patient God is and I think sometimes you need to really um think about someone you've wronged tremendously and someone that you've really harmed and hurt um, exponentially and you know you've done these horrible things to this person and they are so patient with you so loving and compassionate to you always returning good for your evil and just so patient they don't retaliate they don't report you they don't turn you in they don't um, return evil for your evil they don't um, hurt you in return for your hurt and you just wonder like man this person has got to be one of the most patient and kindest, compassionate people I have ever seen because I hurt and harm this person so greatly and a lot of devastating things. And this person's love is just, I wouldn't even say unconditional, but you don't put yourself in harm's way, but they are so patiently waiting on you to um, to change, to repent, to, to come to forgiveness and doing such meekness and such kindness and such humility and such you know loving compassionate ways that you know like the father and he tells us you know that's how you love not only each other or you know your own family that's easy to do but well maybe not all the time but you know your kids or whatnot but you love your enemy or someone that has truly truly harmed you and to just be that a patient just imagine how much more patient god is than even to that, because if you have a person that can be that patient with you and that forgiving, just imagine how patient Christ is to take on not only the sins of the world and all humanity that has ever been, but and ever will be, but just how patiently he's waited on you to change, that he didn't let any harm come to you, or he didn't, you know, reprimand you, or he allows this to still happen. That's how patient God is, even with the person that has harmed or done you wrong. And it's just um, beyond uh, understanding sometimes. In all your ways, submit to him, and he'll make your path straight. Proverbs 3, uh, 6. It's like a lot of times we don't know um, what we should do or where we should go or what direction God wants us to go in. And sometimes, you know, we 
We pray for God to guide us, pray for his direction, pray, you know, God, open a door, close a door, um, maybe um, give me peace over the situation. And, you know, oftentimes, um, Paul had to find contentment, and how did he do it? He had to learn it. It was a learned trait. It's like, I learned how to be high, I learned how to be brought low in all situations, you know, I learned the secret that is, you know, God's strength, he who strengthens me, and like when I was was low and poor and down and out and hungry, I learned how to be content, I was well fed and thriving and had, you know, everything I needed beyond comfort, I learned how to be content, and he says, I can do all things with him who strengthens me, it was God who strengthened him in those moments, and it was God who taught him contentment time and time again through these situations. So not only did Paul, you know, have to learn this contentment, but so do we. And sometimes it's not natural to be content in in uncomfortable situations, standing in a flood, water, wet, soaking, you know, hungry, starving, maybe, you know, the effects of the hurricane, and you're just stranded on, on a rooftop somewhere. It's not an ideal situation to be content in, right? And God tells you, you know, learn how to rely on his strength in these situations and to be content in all these situations maybe when you're thriving at the top and living in a palace and well fed and had all your needs met don't you know want more be content with where you are i think the ultimate test of learning you know god in these situations too is that me sometimes um you might think oh i'm so grateful that you know everything we need and family nice house great kids good life people so content and then you know accidentally see someone that has maybe a, a better job or maybe a bigger house or you know like that purse for that much and at that moment you're like okay am i really content because i'm still bothered by you know what that person bought or what that person spent their money on or maybe if someone doesn't have something you look down, you know that them like that person is wearing those shabby clothes, and they didn't even shower today. And they're wearing these, you know, pajama pants out, and and they're eating garbage. <laughs> and so you might look down, you know, the other people. And so, you know, the fact that these um, are still pulling on your heart and still yanking on you in a sense that are bothering you, that might be a sign that you um, are still uh, not completely content because. Someone higher than you or below you is still got a hold on your heart in a way. And so, you know, every now and then I got to pull back and test my own heart and be like, oh, is that uncontentment in my life that I'm looking down on this person? Or is that discontentment in my life that I'm like, how has that person got that much or spent this or has that or, you know, or, you know. And so at the end of the day, you don't want someone else's um, class level or money or whatever they have to um or not, not have to have any uh pull or sway on your heart and i think that's you know true contentment in all these areas because there's always going to be classes and there's always going to be differentiations in, in social class and, and statuses and that's always been the way of the world from from you know even jesus time and beyond before and so it's like we're always going to have these different um classes and ranks and statuses and how does God call us to be content with where he placed you the talents he gave you and what you um can do with them 
limitations five to remember lord what has happened to us look and see our disgrace our innate inheritance has been turned over to strangers and our homes to foreigners it's not always easy to um say you're sorry it's not always easy to apologize sometimes we want to hide i mean look at adam and eve from the beginning of sin they want to hide from god and god calls them out and calls you to repentance and called adam to be accountable for his actions where who told you you're naked right and it's always hard to be accountable maybe to something that we did or that we're ashamed of or something that we think um we don't need to apologize for or maybe think like oh i apologize you know confess to god that's good enough and always these these um that we might try to run and hide from in our lives and try to cover and conceal or maybe we don't to uh, prick our high sense and ultimately God calls us to repent and not just um, to forgive but to turn away from that sin and to turn towards him that's repentance right you gotta turn away and turn towards and that was kind of what was happening before Jesus came you know John the baptizer was ushering in this call to be baptized and repent turn away from your sin and turn towards and it wasn't just like you know this sorry but to actually put off these sins and, and to put on now this new life this new um way calling on the name of the lord um to to do that and to cleanse you from that and so uh at the end of lamentation five it's the ultimate restoring to god so you can be restored back to community and restoration you know obviously started with Christ restoring us in our relationship to God and then um with God we can be right with man and so ultimately this um restore us to yourselves Lord restore us to you and when once we have this repentance that we're restored back to God then we can truly be restored to our fellow man and to our fellow um and, and groups that we're in and people and, and mankind and horizontally and so ultimately it's just like you know take for you to be sorry enough to experience you know this this loss of this closeness with god and and your loss of this like um god that finally you break into repentance and you're like god i sin against you you know like restore me to you and you know sometimes in um horizontally it was in our our lives it ruins the relationship with god and it that closest we have with God and we see that throughout the Israelites how you know oftentimes they were um you know um um Babylon and, and you know they lost this close nearness with God uh, many times and so it's just kind of like this call to hey I will restore you but you know be sorry and repent so you can restore your relationship with me and then be restored back to you know um um as well and so how you know sorry gonna be to repent to turn away not just say i'm sorry or later apologize to something you did maybe more like um not just a confession but to turn away from a sin and truly um or not have a taste for it anymore and he promises that if we confess our sins um he is faithful and just to forgive us of them and take them away i always find ways to Especially with my kids, I know that they like to blame each other, or he started it, or, well, he kicked it there, and it was in my hand, but he kicked it, or 
I didn't drop that or it's not my, you know, we have 101 excuses. And that's at a kid level, but how much more when we get older, we make the same excuses for um, problems and sins in our lives. That it's not my fault. He started it. Why should I? You did this and that. And it kind of gets messy. And at the end of the day, God just wants us to confess our sins to him so we can um, be restored and, and repentant. It's not like God doesn't know. He knows everything. It's not like, you know, you're fooling God or tricking him. But he wants that humility. And he wants you to humbly acknowledge that Christ took your sins away on the cross. When you, in humility, kind of um, confess that, admit that. Like, yes, Christ, you died for the sin. Forgive me. And that humility of confession, you know, is kind of where um, God does and restores and, and teaches us. Um, how to um, how to uh, work through these problems now and how to navigate these problems now and how to correct these problems and start fixing these areas in your life fixing what's broken, healing pains healing hurts, fixing relationships fixing the mess you made it, it's not going to happen until you start repenting until you confess, until you acknowledge what you have done until you call on God with a repentant heart and then, you know, he can start, in your humility, clean up your mess. Your picture than what we can ever imagine. And God promises to never, to never leave us and to never um, forsake us. And we can boldly say, you know, um, what can man do to me? Whom should I fear? What can, what can man do to me? And ultimately, that's just, is this um, trusting in God and, to um, know that God is in your pain, bigger purposes in your despair, and bigger, you know, plans in, you know, what meets the eye sometimes on earth. And to have that maturity spiritually, just be like, okay, that might not be fun or nice or, or good or right, but God, man can't hurt me because I know you have a bigger plan for me. I know you have a bigger purpose in this. And I know, you know, nothing is by mistake and nothing is by accident in your world. And so... Ultimately, I know you have good plans for me and, and great um, things in store for me. And um, I'm not going to reject your plan. I'm not going to reject your purposes for me. I'm going to, you know, take them and run with them because they're ultimately the best. And so just knowing that um, or reject God's plans, only you can do that. And are you going to trust him in those? And I think, you know, we know bigger and higher better things than we can ever do or imagine ourselves and for ourselves. Onesimus, 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 um, sometimes I call him, our faithful and dear brother, who's one of you, he'll tell you everything. He tells you everything that's happening here. In fact, if you got, you know, uh, it's probably from our dear brother, Onesimus, Simus, Onesimus. He's, you know, part of this one. And so he tells you everything that's going on here. That's how you get informed. And my fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, uh, sent you greetings. Uh, he's my fellow prisoner, obviously. Uh, a lot, a lot, a lot of uh, damage and a lot of uh, things that are punitively um, punishable. So my fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, Send you greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Um, 
and you know, Bonismas, our, our fellow dear brother, he informs you of everything that goes on here. He'll tell you if you have any questions. If they're my co-workers, my partners, Jesus, who's called Justice, also sends his greetings. Not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. And this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light because they fear that their deeds will be exposed. Amen? Is that not the verdict? (laughs) They don't like the light. They have deeds that they don't want to expose, so they hide in the dark. That's it. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light. So that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. So, you know, when you have nothing to hide, you come to light. And you, t- you talk about it. You bring it out. You have nothing to hide. What you've done was plainly seen before God. And you don't have anything to fear. You walk in the light. It's those who like doing evil deeds that hide in the dark and hate the light and want you to cover it and expose it because they don't want them their deeds to be exposed. They were evil and they hate the light. And that's really the heart of the matter. And the verdict, he's right. Tear down that wall that you've covered with whitewash. Whitewash. And I'll level it to the ground. So that foundations will be laid bare. And when it falls, you'll be destroyed in it. You will know that I am the Lord. I'll pour my wrath against you. Against the wall that those who covered it with white white wash, not not black wash, not dark wash, not color wash, white wash, I'll say to you, the wall is gone, and so are those who washed whitewashed it. Those prophets of Israel who prophesied to Jerusalem and saw visions of peace for her, when there was no peace, declares the Lord. So God's promising to tear down this wall that you smeared white. He'll make it. Don't worry. He's onto your, you know, false uh, coverings there. You know, our brother Apollos, we strongly, strong, get strong, Apollos, urged him to go with you and the brothers. He was quite unwilling to go now, but he'll go when he has an opportunity. There's a lot of opportunities for this Get Strong project. And Apollos will come when, when the opportunity is right. So be on guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, and do everything in love. And you know, the household of Stephanas were the first converts in Achaia, and they devoted themselves to the service of the Lord's people. So um, we just urge you to submit to such people, and I was glad when Stephanas and Fortunatas and Achaicus arrived, because they supplied what was lacking from you. They refreshed my spirit and yours also. Such men deserve recognition. It's like these men deserve recognition. Whatever they had uh, made up for your lack. So I'm glad they supplied the bit that you were lacking. Give these men recognition. See a glass glowing with fire and standing beside the sea. Those who had been victorious over the beast in his image and over the number of his name. They held the harps given them by God and sing songs of God's servant Moses and of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your deeds. 
And so just to emphasize that sea of glass with the gold uh, metal shining in it was quite a spectacular sight that he didn't really know how else to quite describe it. And uh, I say this to you because many deceivers who don't acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming into the f- coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. And any such person is the deceiver, the Antichrist. So if they don't, um, there's a lot of deceivers out there. If they don't acknowledge uh, Christ coming in the flesh, um, watch out. They're the Antichrist. They're the deceiver. And he says, watch out that you don't lose what you've worked for, but that you may re- be rewarded fully. So take heed. Look, look for these people and be on guard. He's like, if anyone runs ahead and doesn't continue in this teaching, in the teaching of Christ, and doesn't, they don't have God, and whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. So it's like, remember, or abide in his teaching. And if you go ahead and don't abide in this teaching, uh, you don't have Christ. If you don't have Christ, you don't have God. And if anyone comes to you and doesn't bring this teaching, don't take them into your house or welcome them. Anyone who welcomes him shares in his wicked work. So he warns you, take heed. There's a lot of deceivers out there. And if anyone jumps ahead of this teaching, what I say right here, uh, they come to your house, don't welcome them in. Don't uh, open the door to them because you're going to partake in their wicked work that they're trying to do. So watch out. Be, be on guard. Don't even open your door to them. Wickedness in their deceivers and they're not abiding in this teaching again jesus was um walking and talking with his disciples and they came um to the temple and they called to his attention in this building and they said do you see these things he asked truly i tell you not one stone here will be left on another everyone will be thrown down so they were marveling at the um amazing um detail and intricacies and beauty of this temple that was um made and jesus like you see these things how beautiful amazing these uh stones are in this temple i tell you uh there won't be one stone left here that won't be thrown down and essentially you know foretelling this destruction of this beautiful temple that they couldn't imagine ever being uh thrown down and destroyed and he's like uh watch out i tell you um, let no one deceive you. Many will come in my name, the claim to be the Messiah, but don't be deceived. He'll deceive many, but when you hear of uh, wars and rumors of wars, see to it that you're not alarmed, because such things must happen, and then the end will come. So it's like, don't be deceived. And he's going to come in my name. Pretend that, that he's me or that he has authority to do this or that he's coming in my name to do this, but don't be tricked. He doesn't. And then again, and, you know, just warns like, hey, I'm telling you now, he who ate my bread uh, is going to betray me. Uh, the the one that was eating my bread all day, uh, he's going to betray me. And I'm telling you this now, before it happens, so that when it happens, you'll know and you'll believe that he there's a betrayer here. So just warns them like, hey, not only did the temple get destroyed and the stones, um, get demolished one top another but uh, when someone comes in my name and thinking they have my authority take warning know that they don't i'm telling you this now and uh be warned that there's a deceiver out there the one that ate my bread so make sure you don't uh listen to him 
don't follow his uh cunning. And yeah, the official asks, why is this house of God neglected? And I call them together and station them at their post. All drew up our tithes from of grain, new wine, olive oil into the storerooms. I put Shalemiah the priest and Zadok the scribe and the Levite named Padiah in, in charge of the storerooms and hands and Zachor, son of Mataniah, their assistant. Because they were considered trustworthy and they made they were made responsible for the duty and distributing the supplies to their fellow Levites. So it's not like they were appointed and put in these stations at these posts because they're reliable in duty and they could uh, distribute the goods to the Levites. They're appointed. There's this um, point in Jeremiah's ministry where the Lord's like, uh, go tell Shemaiah the Nehelamite. This is what the Lord Almighty says, that you sent letters in your own name to all the people in Jerusalem, to the priest Zephaniah and his son Messiah, and to all the other priests. And you said to Zephaniah, the Lord has appointed you priests in place of uh, Jehoda and to be in charge of the house of the Lord. Uh, you should put any maniac who acts like a prophet into the stocks and his neck and irons. And why have you not uh, reprimanded Jeremiah um, from Anatoth yet, who possesses as a who poses as a prophet among you? And he has sent these messages to to us in Babylon, and it'll be a long time. Therefore, uh, so build houses, settle down, plant gardens, and eat what they produce. And then later, God says, you know, th- this is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. He says. Well, before that, he says, you know, surely I'll punish Shemaiah and the Nehemite um, and his descendants. I'll have no uh, no one left among the people, nor will he see the good things that I'll do for my people. Um, as he tries to put uh, Jeremiah into um, exile. But next he says, this is what the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Write in a book all the words I have spoken to you. The days are coming, declares the Lord, and that's why I have this memoir series here, um, that uh, when I'll bring my people Israel and Judah back from captivity and restore them to the land I gave their ancestors to possess, says the Lord. And these are the words the Lord spoke concerning Israel and Judah. This is what the Lord says. Cries of fear are heard, terror, not peace. Ask and see, can a man bear children? Then why do I see every strong man with his hands on his stomach like a woman in labor? Every face hath turned deathly pale. How awful that day will be. No other will be like it. It will be a time of trouble for Jacob, but he'll be saved out of it. In that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I'll break the yoke off the necks and I'll tear off their bonds. No longer will foreigners enslave them. Instead, they'll serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I raised up for them. So don't be afraid, Jacob, my servant. Don't be dismayed, Israel, declares the Lord. I'll surely save you out of the distant place and your descendants from the land of their exile. Jacob will again have peace and security, and no one will make him afraid. I am with you and will save you, declares the Lord. So, you know, God tells... Jeremiah to write this in a book, keep keep track of this, and uh, you know, be astonished in, in terror and fear as every man's uh, hands on their stomach as if they're in labor, and their face is deathly pale, white, if you will. Can a man bear children? 
because it's an astounding sight, the barrenness and desolations um, that have happened. Praise Lord God Almighty, just and true are your ways. King of the nations, who will fear you? Lord, and bring glory to your name. For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Amen. Well, guys, thank you for joining me again this um, this uh, edition of Ample Cause, our justification in our um, Hamlet Island memoir series.